I am Gil, the founder of Cocoa Pellet, and I beat the often path by using coconuts to solve one of the most pressing problems that we face right now. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. This is the show where we find forward-thinking solutions to our most pressing problems, proving that you can build a life and career of meaning while tackling some of the major issues facing our species. Joining me today is Michiel Voss, the founder and CTO of Coco Pallet, a Dutch startup that makes circular, affordable transportation pallets made from coconut husks only. They're helping to save an estimated 200 million trees from being chopped down needlessly. And their solution is not only more affordable, but it is itself biodegradable and resellable and reusable as a potting soil enhancer after its main life. It is an ingenious solution that uses the waste from the coconut industry, material that would otherwise just be dumped or burned. And it's exactly the kind of solution that we need going forward. They've won the Heineken Award as well as the Accenture Innovation Award for their work. And it's only the start, I hope, of an exciting new circular frontier for a massive industry. So again, here is Michiel Voss of Cocoa Palette. Okay, welcome to the show, Michiel. So glad to have you here. So what are the most pressing problems? What is the most pressing problem that we have right now? Well, we're running out of trees. (laughs) (laughs) And that's quite worrying, uh, saying this with a smile, but it is worrying. We have so many people and so many trees have been cut and are cut daily to uh, supply the demand and so the idea is just to stop cutting wood for uh, and forest for things that don't last that long like one of them export pellets that are used like once and uh, yeah and so far it looks pretty good okay well um, I've seen the movie Avatar and I was on the side of the humans so who cares about trees burn them all down right isn't that the point of the movie? Yeah, it's also a bit of Lord of the Rings, you know. It's uh, it's uh, burning all the trees, but yeah, who yeah without trees? trees, no oxygen, no life, and uh, so? there are a lot of tribes. And also, if you look like the Navas, like how do you respect life when they kill an animal that they think thank you for giving you life? Same right. with trees, and this is how it should be. And yeah, because- I'm not like a tree hugger, but. You know, it's practical. We need trees. And so let's not cut down things that we better leave in the forest. Right. And I think that's kind of what this show is all about, because a lot of these ideas have been seen as tree hugger or hippie ideas. A lot of it has been seen as fringe in the past 50, 60 years, or at least that's the way it's been painted. But more and more smart people and entrepreneurial people are recognizing that, no, this isn't an ideological thing. It's just a practical thing. It's a research based thing. So it's nice to have people like you who are building a business on the back of this. Yeah. And if you just focus on the biggest problems you can find and that you think like, hey, this got my name on it, then uh, that's also the most challenging and the most fun and the most rewarding and the most difficult, of course. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it takes a kind of character to do so with with your team. But um, I think entrepreneurs are much more efficient in, in solving problems than governments. They can work together, uh, but we've seen in the past that entrepreneurs are capable of creating a lot of destruction very fast. Yep. And they can also do the opposite. Yeah. So you've been studying this stuff for a lot of your life. Obviously, you went to university. If I'm not mistaken, you studied circular economy, biosolutions, those kinds of things. What got you interested in this field in the beginning? Nah. 
Actually, I didn't go to university. My my sister was teaching at the university, and okay. I went for lunch with her. Sometimes <laughs> I teach at the university, but uh, you know, I had to join the army, and it really interrupted ah, all my uh, study plans. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm like, I'm a reader, so I educated myself. Okay. And but uh, the, the the subject of like how to study nature and how nature can help us with solving problems. Biomimicry is one of the things that I'm really interested in. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a lifelong thing. So as long as you can remember, you've been interested in these ideas? Of course, when I was like before 30s, I was just more interested in having fun and drinking beer with my friends and stuff. But then yeah. after that, you think like, hey, there must be more than this. And that's mm. like, you have this epiphany, this awakening. And yeah, that came pretty strong. And since my... 30s, I thought like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I have to do. I have no choice. Yeah. I, I had a similar journey myself. I mean, you know this, we discussed, obviously I was a DJ musician. I was in that life for a long time, but giving that up was very hard, especially because it's, it's a lot of fun, as you know, but I also felt a similar voice inside of me that said, is this enough? And is the idea of taking a private jet 300 days a year around the world, there there was something about that life that felt like it could never really reach the ceiling, as awesome as it would be. So I made a huge change in my own life to be more focused on stuff like this. And you might say even make a, a sacrifice in doing that because a lot of this stuff isn't as popular as the other thing. It's much easier to be popular selling music or things that are mainstream than, sure. than this kind of stuff. So how has that journey been when you made that decision? Was it tough to start getting involved or did you find that things happen naturally? Yeah. Some people say it would be very tough, but it's a mentality thing. Like, you have to be like a kind of boxer, you know, just when they hit you, instead get up, fight. It's not the most talented boxer that wins, but more like the one that <laughs> keeps standing takes up. the most blows And to the so, face. yeah, it's a tough, well, you get used to it and, and you grow by doing so. Yeah. So it becomes easier in a way. So when you had the idea to do this, what was the first step that you took? Did you know that you wanted to build a business, but you just didn't know what it was at first? It's not like a moment that you say like, that was the moment. But um, but I think for, for this project, the Cocoa Pellet project, it was the moment that one of the professors gave me a report. He said like, we're so frustrated. This is so promising and nobody in the last 12 years could make something from it. Hmm. You're an entrepreneur, look at it, read it, call me back. Okay. So I called him back the next day. And and this is where this project started. But the awareness of doing something with like bamboo and water uh, purification was already like years before that. But everything I did before and everything that went sideways, went south, helped me uh, in this project. Hmm. So what did he hand you? What was What was the research that he showed you? It's like 60 pages of re, uh, research they did with money from the United Nations about how to make building materials with coconut materials. And I read it and I thought like, oh, wow, they just they just picked the wrong market uh, product combination. And then I thought like, then you think like, what could I you do with this? And then and then you just connecting the dots. Okay. Um, so it, it's just reading a lot, learning how to connect dots and, and then start to 
analyzing things, trying things, and then move on from one to the other thing. And mm-hmm. most things, of course, don't work. <laughs> and then you have to focus on things that do work. But you have to do the things that don't work to find out what does work. So you started using coconuts as a material, but you didn't know what you were going to use it for. And I guess more specifically, we're talking about coconut waste, right? Coconut husks, byproducts yeah. of the industry. Like this, Ooh, this is the coconut. Go. And <laughs> I, I love visuals. <laughs> and this is what we use, like the hairy part. See the, okay. the, the food, the drinks inside. Then you have like the hard shell, nice fuel. But this is mostly just thrown away. Okay. And that's what we use. Okay. So what were some of the ideas that you went through at the beginning to get to the final idea? What were some things that you tried that didn't work? Yeah. The first thing that comes to your mind is like people need building materials. They need a house. They need a shelter. They need to have a roof for their above their heads for their children and things like But they, you know, they have a such a long and the margins are very small. So I thought like you have to build a cash cow which is pellets in this case, and to do like the other things. We have like hundreds of things that you could do. Because what we do, like I show you, if you like sure. goodies, like this is like Sorry a piece for the people of the listening. Pellets. Ooh, I feel like and I'm in a tiki lounge. It's only coconuts and there's no resin, there's nothing. It's like a kind of MDF. So if you can make this, basically you can make a lot of other things. So what it looks like for those who are just listening and not watching on video, it looks kind of like... Uh, island tropical themed Starbucks drink carrier, <laughs> but larger. Uh, it looks very happy. It's inspired yeah. in biomimicry. So, see, from the first pattern pellets we of learned, leaves. Uh, yeah, pattern of leaves. We started like with a team uh, with, with our friend Carlos uh, in, in Portugal. Uh, the leaves of the coconuts and how the trees and how the direction of the leaves and like how they can withstand the storm. And that was the inspiration for this pellet. But if you are not watching but listening, if you have straight lines in the thing, like a chocolate bar, it breaks on the straight line, right? Sure. So we said, and that's what all our pellets did before. Then we said, like, we have to avoid all straight lines. We only have curves. And that made the pellets with the same weight a lot stronger. Very logical. Right. And so we, we don't say, why do they make, still make pellets with straight lines? It doesn't make sense. But learning by doing. But it looks amazing. And while that's the funny thing, a pellet, nobody cares what it looks like. It should be strong enough, compliant, so like no uh, insects in it, like wood boring insect, and as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. What it looks like, the color, the shape, nobody cares. But sure. even so, we thought, like, let's make something beautiful. Yeah, why not? Let it stand out and make a statement at the same time. So what? what is the traditional process what is the wasteful tree using process before you came in how did that industry work they're just chopping down trees to make fresh pallets is it even recycled at all yeah yeah see that used to be the thing like you you cut a tree you saw planks and you make a pallet and you put boxes on it and you ship it but then when the trees are gone you have to go further away so from asia they went to like new zealand canada or like other side of the world to bring wood in to make pellets and to ship back to the same countries, basically. So, and that's completely silly. So, if you have a lot of trees like the Scandics or Canada, it doesn't matter. But these countries don't have so much export. The countries that do have a lot of export, like China, Japan, Taiwan, they have hardly any trees. They have some bamboo. They have grass. So, you know, that's also the only focus for a company providing an alternative for the wooden pellets, mm-hmm. because you know it's simple to make. You need like a hammer, a handful of nails and a saw, and then you're a pellet manufacturer. Right. 
Yeah, well, I always like those traditional pallets because, you know, if I don't, if I use your method, if I don't use a traditional one, what am I going to use for illegal firewood? Because taking a pallet, sawing it down, you know, stealing a pallet from somewhere, chopping it up, putting it in a fire pit, being left over yeah. with hundreds and thousands of rusty nails in my fire pit. It's an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, I we, like we, that we, personally. We so. have to disappoint those people because it doesn't really burn. It doesn't really burn. Dang it. <laughs> we can, what am we I going to steal now from all the, the warehouses? On the beach, they make this big piles of like 40 meters high and there's a competition between cities and then they burn it for new years and every year i gotta go like you have pellets i said hey they don't burn i don't, don't even burn. say thank you they just hang up they just hang up the phone <laughs> it's funny that it's not a selling point of course in real life pallets that don't burn is an asset right if i have a warehouse wouldn't i be happier that my pallets can't that's, catch on fire that's for some like in the chemical industry it must have like the fire right. retardancy is most like a nice to have but if you're doing chemical stuff like flammable stuff it's a must-have and mm. Well, if you do wooden pellets that fire retardant, you have to treat them or you get, have to get the hardwood. Well, you don't want to make a hardwood pellet. Yeah. That's too expensive. And I'm sure whatever and, you're spraying uh, so it with is, is it horrible is chemicals, for us. right? Yeah. Whatever you have to do to make wood fire retardant must be awful in terms of... Basically, it's just chemicals. density or oh, okay. you have to put chemicals in it. Right. Okay. So you struck gold, you figured out that this was an angle that you could do. How long did it take you from coming up with the idea before you had a working prototype where you believed that this was actually possible? Yeah, it took about two years because everybody okay. was telling us at the university, yeah, you can make flat things, but 3D things, that's not going to fly. And I thought, yeah, it must be possible. So with some friends and uh, some money, we went to China and we built a machine. And then after like at least a year of, of, of uh, total disaster and uh, suffering and cold because it was freezing there, minus 20 Jeez. Celsius. <laughs> and, uh, and then we made a pellet, but you know, it was not good enough. I've got one here in the office uh, that we made like years ago, but then you think, okay, if it's not good enough, where do we have to improve? And then you start to tweak and you have to fund that. And like, tests cost like zillions and molds cost like two, 300K. Right. So that, that that's the challenge, you know, to fund the, the process. Well, what would you say propelled you forward? Because I think there are a lot of people who have a good idea or an idea that they think might be something. But I have a suspicion that a lot of people in that two-year period, because it seems like a short amount of time when we talk about it, but living two years, it's a long time. When you're going through that moment, what propelled you forward? Maybe not even knowing if it was possible. Uh, talking with customers and you see like 70 75 percent of the most startups fail in the second year and 45 50 percent of all these people interviewed say like yeah there was no market for the product that we made we were so in love with our product and we thought it was great but we forgot to ask the market and that's the first thing we do did like what are you using what are you paying what should go on it what's wrong with it what would you like to improve so we had like hundreds of interviews with big companies, like with Amazon, with THL and stuff. So everybody said like, oh yeah, we want that. And even more so because the wood shortages right now, wood prices have tripled in the States, for example, mm -hmm. in some places. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing we knew, because we knew that our process was very optimized and we could compete with wood. So sustainability, making it affordable is like, a, 
uh, growth if the problem is big enough. And the problem is massive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody wants to save a few bucks on the pellet. And if they can also lower the carbon footprint, you know, it's, it's plus plus. That's huge. Yeah. It's and so if and it's a market of almost 2 billion pellets a year in Asia. So, you know, we can never do that. In Asia all. alone, 2 billion? Well, they're the factory of the world, you know, China. Right, so that's just, they make like, it for the rest uh, of the world. We don't export yeah. that much from, yeah. from Europe and the States anymore. We right. should. We should yeah. onshore more yeah. and be less dependent on, on these faraway production things. But the fact is that most pellets for export are needed in, in Asia. Okay. So can you describe for us the process of how this works? So what is the input material? What are you doing to it? Just what's an overview of the process of building one of these pellets? Yeah, I'm going to grab the coconut again. So hey. the coconut <laughs> falls down. The farmer takes the nut out and sells it to a factory. This stays behind. And so we buy that from the farms. We pay them a fair price for it. We bring it to the factory. We mill it, small pits, like kind of sawdust. Then we have to dry it because if it's, too wet, it works against us. Then we transport it to our molds, and they're like big steel molds uh, that are heated, and then we put the material in it. That's a very special trick. And then it's like baking cookies, hmm. but we put a lot of pressure. So, like some presses are like 3,000 ton pressure. There's like 3 million kilos of wow. pressure on the pellet. And see, and then after a few minutes, the pellet comes out. And then because of the pressure, like the, the natural glue crosslinks, and then if it cools down, it's solid. Like, you know, this is just pressed husk and the heat and the pressure did the trick. Incredible. But it also makes it completely bio-based. So at the end of the line, when it's at the end of its life, you can just mill it and use it as pot soil. Because it's uh, biomass, it's like a replacement for peat moss. So there's value. You can make some money on it by collecting these pellets and selling it to like pot soil companies. It's 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 brilliant. So that's not just a win-win. It's a win-win-win, which is even more exciting. Uh, yeah, there are several wins. First one, of course, is for the farmer that has waste and now gets money for it because you know, that's like a, makes a difference of building a, a house or putting your children to school. And so that's part of our program. And yeah, all the way to the end. What a cool, cool concept. So is it as strong then as the traditional ones? Is it stronger? It does Depends. the job? You have strong pellets, you have weak, uh, oh, weak pellets. You know, this is like the average thing. We say like maximum 1,200 kilos uh, boxes, preferably inside, not in the rain. Because if you put it out in the rain, it will weaken. But, okay. you know, most transportation in the container, there's no water in there. Maybe some moisture in the air. And, uh, but the thing is like sexy, the, the pellet is the least sexy thing you can imagine. It's just a thing to put boxes on. Right. And, but it solves a problem and it's a big problem. So, uh, that's why we like it. Yeah. And you've attracted some, uh, multinationals to your cause. So how has the support been on the other side? How has the interest been since you've been launching this? Well, well, the thing is we get like mails every day every week from mainly like uh, big exporters multinationals because they everybody's like oh the pellet is like uh, 50% more than last year so they have to google pellets and then they <laughs> and then they see us if they do sustainable pellets it's like almost 100% uh, hit 
Mm. And then they think like, coconuts and then they think like and then then they send the mail via our website and then our team our commercial team uh, tries to get understand what their needs are uh, and sometimes we say we don't think there's a solution for you you better look at there there and there but if there's a match we engage and uh, and prepare like trials so they can test our pellet in their supply chain so cool what percentage that's, that's, of... that's basically the only thing that tell, can tell if it works for them sure do you think it's feasible that this can replace a large percentage of wooden pallets or a small percentage? Like, what is the, the theoretical ceiling here? Yes. Um, I guess there are plenty of coconuts. Uh, they're like about 75 billion coconuts. So, yeah, you can make a lot of pallets. Uh, but, but also, it creates awareness like, hey, what we're doing right now is not smart. And this may be even more important uh, to make people think. And at like if we're very successful, oh, sure, we get some copy, copycats and we wish them the best of luck. <laughs> it's not easy, but also it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. And that would have even more impact. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I think that if we look at it now, well, high volume, a lot of impact, uh, a lot of value creation. So it's also good for us because we're entrepreneurs yeah. and we invested a lot the last few years. So hopefully <laughs> it'll come back to us. I'm, I'm sure that it will because it seems like an enormously commercial idea that everybody would want to get a part of. Because again, like you said, whether they realize it or not, we're all bound by the same constraints. So if we're running out of trees, even the people who are against it, they're going to have to look for alternative solutions. So it seems well, to me... True. See, the most effective in incentive is the financial incentive. Hey, like mm -hmm. if you normally pay $14 for a pellet and now you can get, get it for like 11 12 you use like a half a million pellets, that's a big saving. Yeah. And if it does the same thing, that's a no-brainer. And you can sell it on the other side and yeah, but that's some the thing. of your costs, you perhaps. Sell it to your customer and so it, you don't own it anymore, but your customer will be happy they can if sell it. you can yeah. give the information like, hey, there's a bonus for you guys. Right. And people like to hear that. Like, And, and they feel good about themselves because they're doing something good. And then make some money on the side. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense. So we talk about the circular economy. What is what is the circular economy? Can you explain that? How does that well, work? Well, basically everything was circular up to like two, three hundred years ago because okay. there's no waste. So you're packaging, like, for example, if you buy like a nice nasi lemak like in, in Malaysia, the packaging is like a banana leaf. Even right. if you just throw it on the street, you know, no harm. If it's plastic, it will take hundreds of years to decompose, aluminum foil and stuff. So in the circular economy, everything goes back to the natural cycle. You know, product definitely. If we put like nails in it, it would be different. If we put some synthetic resin on it, what everybody told us would be, be make our lives a lot easier. It's not circular anymore. And um, so we didn't take the easy part, putting like some extra glue in it fine tune the process until we had something that was strong enough and fully bio-based. And that was not the easy path, but the, the right path for us. Do you think that there are lots of industries that could become circular, lots of things like this that you're doing that could exist in the world? Yes, uh, because uh, what's his name? From uh, Interface Floor, they make floor tiles for, for uh, offices, big company. And the guy um, uh, was reading about it like in the 80s and thought like, wow, 
I'm the most one of the most polluting companies in the world. And he showed every, he changed everything around in a completely circular and carbon neutral. Everybody said, cannot be done. And he said, like, that's not up to you. And everybody said, and you will not be profitable, you'll not be competitive. They're extremely competitive. Interface floor. They they they're like a textbook example of how even like uh, companies use oil and tar and plastic can be by taking the right decisions on a high level and just tell everybody in the company from the, the floor sweeper to the management everywhere like like hey this is where we're going it's leadership mm-hmm. it's taking tough decisions and uh this was mr anderson and mr. Uh, anderson. yeah great story uh, i haven't heard that example. a great example i'm very excited to learn more about that so what do you yeah, think the family just uh, proceeded and also they helped Cocoa Pellet by giving us okay. like a, a grant for the biomimicry institute. So we were invited to, to study biomimicry, learning from nature in Montana, but amazingly beautiful. Yeah, and they Montana just first. brought people in from all over the world to, to do so. Yeah, that's what you can do with if you have the funds for it and the mindset. Well, it speaks to what one person who has the right ideas can do and what can happen if you have the conviction to pursue those ideas. It's a, it's a brilliant example that others, you know, his example might have paved the way for you in some small way and others like, and you will pave the yeah. way for others who are thinking about building a business. And that's that's it's, sort it's, of my only goal with doing this is yeah. to pave the way. To... By sharing ideas right. and like showing people, hey, can be done. Yeah. And yeah, no, nobody's going to tell you it's easy, but it can be done. Just get the right people on the bus. Of course, you need a team and uh, and start solving problems. And you have will face problems all the time. You just have to be prepared for it. Just to, you know, just get up. Don't don't lie on the floor. Just pick yourself up. Uh, smile at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and go again, you know. It's uh, um Everybody can can give up and say like, "I know it's too difficult." And, and sometimes you should, you know. But uh, if it's totally, utterly useless, but uh, if you still have faith, fight on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's nice about the podcast showing like uh, also like if people did not succeed, like, hey, what did they learn? What are the learning the key takeouts of what? And you know, the, on in the same country or other side of the world, people could do exactly the same, and they also fail or they succeed. It could be anything. Yeah, like a cash flow problem or like uh, or you build a factory and the hurricane comes over in the first day right you know? who knows happens but we're just trying to show that this is a viable business because a lot of people have seen these things traditionally as you know you're either going to be successful in business or you are going to do something good for the planet but they don't they don't connect and i'm trying no. to show people that yes you can also be profitable but also do something that's good for the planet they're not mutually exclusive and this this is the time also for investments you know you know if you have an investment fund you're not going to invest in landmines and stuff like that it's not okay anymore 20 years ago yeah that, that's what you did so if you have a clean tech company and it's scalable sure you can get investments uh, it's more fun um also, your children will be happy for it because your children would judge you. <laughs> things yeah, you who cares about those children? I don't care. Let's just burn it all. Let's burn the planet. <laughs> I have a four-year-old daughter. Who cares? I don't want See, her to know what a forest is or a tree. So if you look at the forest, like 
okay, what's the worth for our children? And they can think, ooh, yeah. And that can be pretty painful. But also, if you want to solve problems, you think like, hey, how did we things? How did we do things hundred years ago where we did not have plastics, where we hardly had cars? How did we transport things, sailboats, for example? And um, how did we paint houses? What kind of paint? How did we make paint without all this toxic stuff? Yeah, but apparently it was possible for the last few thousand years. Apparently. And how did we make our food? And uh, how did we live without artificial fertilizer? That's maybe a key question. Right. Well, in the future, you know, you're talking about very unsexy things. You're talking about pallets. You're talking about floor tiles, building materials. In the future, none of that is going to matter because in the future, all of the younger generation, see, everybody's going to only earn their money from doing dances on TikTok. So 15-second dances will be the backbone of our economy. Nobody's going to build anything anymore. We don't need to live in houses. We don't need food to eat. We don't need water. So I think all of these ideas are very old-fashioned. Don't you agree? Yeah, but, you know, that's like, I think the, the King Midas, everything he touched became cold, and then he's... He died because he couldn't eat anything because everything turned right. cold. So if everything is utterly useless, like TikTok things, you know, they're going to starve. If the shit hits the fan, then then they're not prepared. But it's that sweet, and sweet so, brand deal. And also, that's why I think one of the key issues we want to address. If we keep squeezing the farmers and people on the bottom of the pyramid that have been feeding us for the last 20,000 years, then... The farmers stop farming because it doesn't make sense. They sell the soil, the, the, the land, if they own it. Their children will never go farming because they want to have TikTok career, whatever. So in 20 years' time, who's going to grow our food? The big companies? We want to be dependent on that? No, we need the farmers. So if we don't take care of the farmers right now and uh, people that really like work the land, and then we have a serious issue that you cannot reverse because you, then, so we have to find innovative ways like make farming attractive again. Maybe we should go farming ourselves because it's a beautiful profession. When I was a little boy, I wanted to be a farmer. And maybe one day I will be. <laughs> maybe you will be again, yeah. <laughs> you never know. Maybe you'll follow your own supply chain and you'll end up uh, in Bali or something like that. <laughs> you'll end up in the Philippines and you'll have a little villa out there, who knows? I had some coconut trees uh, on the St. Martin where I lived on the beach for a few years. Ah, there you go. That's a good life. I like <laughs> that's it. A good life. Right. If you can where coconuts live, can like, grow. In a, in, a, in a climate with palm trees, so that's mm -hmm. halfway happiness. That's true. I completely agree with that. So what do you think the resistance has been to these ideas? Because like you said, you know, you were handed a research paper from, I think, the University of Wageningen, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, but nobody'd commercialize this. So why is it that do you think it's just a lack of awareness that people don't know that these types of things are possible? What is the resistance towards building a business in this way? Why do people feel that they have to do things in the most wasteful way possible, toxic way possible? It's just if you if you feed yourself on TikTok things and videos and stuff and you don't read books and you don't then your mind doesn't grow. If you feed yourself with literature and like technical reports and you're open to learn and then see like, you know, then you can picture something that most people cannot. So this is also a call for people to start reading again and, and, and open yourself up for things that are truly interesting and not shallow. 
And I don't want to judge people, but you know, it's just yeah. smarter to know more because you can connect more dots. And of course I could never do this alone, but like there are people in the team that um, are good where I'm not good. So that's what you need to, to find, like people you want like to work with and can disagree with. Because the most beautiful things come from disagreements. Like, like, hey, I think it's like this. Oh, I don't think it's like that because of this and this and this. And that. But then I said, oh, well, let's try it, you know. And then you're a step further. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot disagree with each other and argue, there's no growth. So it, 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 it's it's again mindset. So when it comes to finding other people to help you in a cause, what do you recommend for people to to build that team? I think that if you have a lot of the same people in on the team, uh, nothing can come from it because there's no creation. So you need a diverse team. Like you need a, for this, like a technician, maybe a philosopher, uh, somebody who knows about biology, a financial person. Uh, you need different nationalities, like for example, one of our key mar- team members is from the Philippines. He has a completely different view about things than we have from Europe. And we're building in Asia, so we should, you need a local on the team, at least a few. Uh, of course, we believe in diversity, but then still, you know, in the main management team of five guys, no, no girls, and that is something we would love to change in the future. And I will, because we're open to it. But also, like these, this diversity is important to solve problems and have this openness. And there are no bad ideas, and have this, um, yeah, this culture of looking at things from a different position and being the advocate of the devil, like, so, uh, and saying like this is never going to work without a s- solid argument. That's worthless. If you say like this is never going to work because this, 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 and this, and look at that, that you know, then that's that uh, gives structure and it gives like uh, you have like a, um, a a conversation that that brings you to something. Yeah. But uh, but first, of course, you have to find a team that you like to work with and. Uh, you don't have to be friends, but you have to respect each other. And that's, that's it. Well, you've been in the same position. You worked with a lot of people and you were not yeah. maybe always best friends, but you could have great results together. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because my wife tells me every morning, this isn't going to work. Uh, she doesn't have any ideas. Um, she also says that I'm ugly a lot. Uh, should I be concerned? Or is that just well, a good thing? If you, maybe you're just not old enough when you're, older and gray then you learn that you take nothing personally and think oh, okay all right okay i'll make sure i'll you make sure and you can you're wasting your time you're wasting your time beautiful i i'm not right. ugly and then you're like it doesn't matter that's right i gotta cultivate a sense of inner knowing and inner wisdom um so what do you think your strength is or your weakness is in terms of your role within your own company? What do you think you're best at since you're sort of at the helm here? And what do you lack? Yeah, I, I think, of course, there's a yin and a yang and a good and a bad. Like, I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed. When I think, like, ah, it should work, and I just, I, I don't easily give up, um, which is also something that works against you. 
And I am creative thinker, so I can connect dots uh, easier than a lot of other people. Like, and actually, I'm not good in anything. I'm, I know a lot of things, so I'm a generalist, and you really need to work with specialists. And if you have this overview as a generalist and you work with the right specialist, then you're going somewhere. And if everybody's a generalist, you're not going anywhere. And I, I think that... Uh, also because a lot of things went, didn't went that well in my life and, uh, and I'm still very grateful. I learned to be more humble and just to think like, okay, it could be very well that somebody else knows this better. And then you're just going to assess that and think. And then, uh, But, you know, the important thing is always take your own decisions. After listening to everyone, you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, but of course, I'm not the only one to decide in the company anymore because, uh, and then that, that's good. Do you, you think that being a generalist, together? do you think that it's good to be a generalist? Uh, you know, Henry Ford, the famous example, good or bad as an icon, you know, he's very influential yeah. in the business world. But of course, his whole thing was I only hire people that are smarter than myself. And that was how I achieved success. Do you think that it makes more sense to be a leader as a generalist because perhaps you're aware of your own limitations and then you're better able to find those people who are smarter yeah. than you? Whereas if you were a specialist, you might not be able to do that. Yeah, you can say a lot about Henry Ford, but he's an example of like, it was revolutionary what he did. Sure. And yeah, indeed, hiring people that are not smarter than you, that's not smart. <laughs> right. So he got that right. But what I think is important to see like about leadership, like true leaders create leaders and bad leaders create followers. And with followers, you know, if the leader goes down, it's a chaos. I think that as a leader, you always have to look like, is this person or this team capable of continuing this better or just without me or like, uh, or, or like, do they have that mindset of learning and, and, uh, and growing? And you have to look for, for leaders, but also give people the opportunity to grow as a leader. The world needs more leadership. If you look at the governments, you think like, oh, God, where are we going to? No kidding. And uh, so you have to also make it, make it attractive. But being a leader is often not very attractive. It's hard. It's, it's hard to stick about the responsibility. And also you have to back. be yeah. hard-headed, I think, to stick with something. Because you could have given up in the first six months because, ah, screw it. But some part of you kept going. As hard as it got or is, let's yeah, not... true. And I'm happy that it didn't give up. But also, yeah. if I look back at my life on some other things, <laughs> I wish I gave up earlier. Yeah, so I, I feel focus my time on things that did matter. We've all made and, a lot of mistakes. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you only don't know those things, and you're like, uh, sure. you see, like giving up as a total failure, and it doesn't yeah. have to be. You know, when I read that autobiography, because I, I started my business journey many years ago, let's say 10 years ago, I started reading books and I started working my way in. You know, you, you, you start with a book in like, let's say Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, and then you start right. spreading out and then you realize, OK, that wasn't that great of a book. But it got me into the idea of reading autobiographies and memoirs and business books and other things that have changed my life a lot. Reading Henry Ford's autobiography was very interesting. And that line about hiring people smarter than yourself, it, it always stuck with me. But it, a lot of people, when you read that, you don't know how to actually do it. 
you think, okay, great. How do I hire people who are smarter than me? And I didn't think, or I didn't have an answer for that until very, very recently. So what do you think it takes to attract people who are smarter than yourself to Well, it's not about only about hiring people, but also in your friends. Or, they say you're sure. the average of your five friends, the people you hang out most. So you have to be very picky with you, who you hang out with. So if you pick out friends that are smarter and then like challenge you, you grow like, uh, and your partner. And of course you don't have a pick in your children because you want the children to be who they are and to grow who they are. But in a lot of things, family you don't have so much choice. You have a choice how, to see, how often you see them and how, how you interact with your friends. You can choose your colleagues. You can choose. And so if you surround yourself with uh, good people, like we have this uh, t-shirt and on the back is a poem from one of my favorite uh, poets, uh, Rumi, I think mm. it's 15th century. And it says like, set your life on fire, seek those who fan your flames. And it's exactly how it should be. You fan the flames of other people and they flame your, they, they fan your flames. So then you can really like heat it up. And that's exciting. Yeah. And, uh, and if, you, if you have people in your life, you think like, ah, they're like so negative and they're, all, they're only coming to take and not bring parts from those people. Mm-hmm. Don't make place for people who are always that. Always be ready to help people, even those people that you parted with if they're in trouble. But if it's only costing you energy, then you might ask yourself like, same with people you hire. If you think like, this is like an energy drain for the team, for me, just... Tell that person, hey, I don't think this is the right place for you. Let's find another place for you. And and it, when you know, you know, you have to move directly and not wait because it's toxic. It, you have to be, they call it social hygiene. <laughs> you have to <laughs> yeah. really be picky who you hang, hang out with. And in, in every part of life, that's what I've learned. And if you clean up your life, you also get space for things that you like, like reading, hanging out with your kids, and, uh, and and things that you find more important. Otherwise, you're just like covered with all things that people want from you. And uh, and also, that's I think the most important thing that you learn is saying no. Like, uh, well, I said yes to your podcast, but yeah, you did. Of the I think hey. You could, uh, th- and you'd you, be justified. No, you. You'd be justified. <laughs> Nobody would blame you for that. But I appreciate that you came here. I appreciate that you're helping fan these flames. Uh, it means a lot to me. Do you feel that you are less cynical? Because this is a, a fundamental question I always ask. If you educate yourself, you'll become more aware of the problems, more intimately aware of the problems that the world is facing. Surely you know more about trees and wood and the many challenges that we face as a species than the average person on the street who hasn't researched these topics. Do you feel that doing something and doing this mission has made you more optimistic about the future or has it helped with cynicism? Yes. And I think that you, when the, the more you know, the more you know, you, you don't know it all. When you're like 16, 17, like you, you know it all. And that's, of course, total madness. But that's what you think. When you learn and grow older and you you have this mentality of, of learning things, you think like, oh, there's so many things I don't know. And a lot of people do know. And uh, But that's also the beauty about what they have in Africa. They call it Ubuntu. It's like, I am because you are. So I eat this bread because a farmer was 
tending this grain and then somebody else and then somebody milled it and then the truck driver brought it. So all these people, I would not eat this bread. So I'm grateful to all the people, all people who sweep, sweep the street, the people who clean your apartment. I'm the lucky ones that can have somebody who cleans my apartment because I'm not really good at that and I like clean house. So I'm very grateful for that lady that does that in, in my place. And um, if you're very cynical, uh, it's very arrogant and, and it's, it, it fires back at you because you become very unlikable. And I've been there, you know, I've been this young know-it-all asshole and it's not nice. And if you look at yourself like, oh yeah, okay, this is where I came from. And I had a discussion with my son, he's 22 now, and about that the father that he has now is actually the nice version of when it was his age. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah? So yeah, you have to know. And because everything, like everything is shiny and easy and life, my life was like a walk in the park. No, it's, it's not. You have to be painfully honest with your children and maybe we would, not with everyone, it doesn't matter, but uh, yeah. No, I, th I think that, well, that's, that's my view. I don't know how you see it, that the more you know, and if you see people in the street, yeah. you, know, you don't know what they think, where they've been, True. and you cannot judge people uh, without having all the information. Yeah. Well, I think we live in a weird time where negativity we know that negativity spreads better on tools like social media and the internet is better yeah. at amplifying you know and, and i've certainly noticed that a lot of my most popular videos on tiktok which ever since i started being more positive my reach went down astronomically when i was just complaining about stuff before i started actually trying to solve it that was way more popular because people like hearing people just complain about things they like hearing people just vent but sure. it's it's not as popular to say, okay, how do we solve that? What's the next step? Okay, yes, this is bad, but who's actually fixing that? And I've always felt that there's three levels to things. That's kind of a, a framework that I have in my mind just in general to being a, a foreigner in another country. Just everything in general has three levels. The first is just ignorance, and you might say ignorance is bliss. But then the second level, you learn a lot and that can bring a lot of depression and cynicism because there are enormous problems that are facing us as a species, astronomical problems. We know that. But the third step is, OK, what do I want to be in this world? Do I want to be somebody who helped try to solve the problems of this world or do I want to just stay at level two and just say everything sucks? Everything's terrible. We're doomed. There's no possible way out. That's, that's the easiest. Right. And then not very rewarding. And, uh, but also, you know, what do you eat? What do you take in? Like, is it crap or like, I don't have basically social media because maybe it will depress me or it will take too much of my time. It's a choice. No Facebook, no, no Instagram and stuff. And uh, do I miss something? Yeah, I'm sure I miss things, but <laughs> I don't care. And so being negative is much easier being positive well but also we all know these people that are always you have to be happy and uh, you have to be uh happy clappy and uh Toxic everything positivity. will be all right right everything's fine but, we no, don't have no, any you have problems be, you have to be a realist like uh, if you look also in the in the nazi camps like the, the optimists everything oh the russians are coming the americans are coming and, and, and they didn't come and they died the realists like this is today they were like stoics 
like Marcus Aurelius, yeah, Seneca. I love yeah. And I think it's great in this time to read like books are 2000 years old from, from like these great Stoics and how to embrace life. If you want to embrace life, you have to embrace your death. Because if you're afraid of your death, that, this is like a dark cloud above you. So if you're peace with that, then you really can full, live fully. And these were great minds uh, yeah. to read about. Uh, and But also some other books, like you can you can look at the Bible, uh, you can look at Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Mm -hmm. I think the book I read the most. Interesting. Which is like okay. daily practice, like how to, not to rule, but how to live. Uh, it's it's not about to me the book is not so much about power but more like about how to deal with other people right those are the keys <laughs> people are the key do you have you ever read the book how to win friends and influence people do you know that by dale carnegie yeah i, I did but i found it pretty tough it was of course written like a hundred years ago yeah it's, uh, it's a and, bit of a different world and i think this guy interviewed like the biggest minds of that time right it, Edison and Ford and stuff. That was amazing. And he got their insights. And uh, and they, he writes about having this private council of like advice and stuff that you can even do in your mind. And think, I think that's the book, right? No, Napoleon no, that's Na that's Napoleon Hill. No, which oh, is Napoleon which is kind of right. wishy-washy. I have mixed feelings about Napoleon Hill. I think he was probably a charlatan at the end of the day and maybe a little crazy. No, Dale Carnegie yeah. was a public speaking coach. And oh, he wrote yeah, a book Carnegie, called yeah how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. And all it is is just about how to deal with people. That book, I, I read Meditations from Marcus Aurelius once a year. I read that book once a year. I cannot recommend it highly enough because everything, it's just how to interact with human beings better. Every time something goes well in my life, it's because I followed a principle in that book. Every time I end up in a sticky situation, it's because I violated a principle yeah. of that book. And, and even if you read a book that you disagree with, it sharpens your mind. Yeah. So even if there are parts in the book, you think like, ah, that's manipulation. That doesn't work for me. Good. Fine. Then don't use it. If you pick yeah. up some other things, you think like, oh, yeah, that's, that's indeed good insight. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, the books you mentioned are like worth reading and rereading. Sure. Re I want to read The Art of War again. It's been many years. Uh, I, I still remember some of the principles, you know, appear strong when you're weak, appear weak when you're strong. I, like a lot of it is in my brain, but it would be nice <laughs> to reread it again. <laughs> if you just Google like quotes Sun Tzu, right. yeah, and yeah. you get these sounds bites, that's already no, something. Because uh, do... it's not an easy book to read. Uh, okay. uh, some are translations and they have like all these notes, make it more pleasurable to read. That's good. But... Uh, if you just think like, I have a hard okay. time, and you just okay. Google quotes, and okay. it's like, that's, <laughs> that's good enough. easy, digestible snacks. We're going to go the Twitter version. Cheer you up a little bit. Sure. I like it a lot. So now that we're at this place where you've been doing this for a few years, what would be the best case scenario for the next couple of years? If everything goes well, great, what would you hope would happen in the next well, couple of years? Well, the best case scenario is that we build a factory, and we got it operational. Let's be a realistic in a few months. We make good stuff. Then we think, yeah. okay, good, proven. We finance yeah. like the, the scale up. And then we're ready looking for a third and second factory. So if we have shown like in the coming three years that we can build it, scale it, and keep the quality and our customers are happy yeah. and we are having a good EBITDA, like a good margin, then the, the company is fairly valuable and we can scale in the Philippines, in 
Indonesia, India. We got a lot of invitations from Brazil and Mexico. Sure. Countries that need a lot of pallets. And then you can think like, okay, what other problems are we going to solve? So you have a team with smart people uh, that roll out the next thing. But that can go much faster than the enormous amount of time that we needed for this project. Because you have the capital, you have the faith of investors, you have some faith in yourself. Yeah. And uh, and that's going to be exciting uh, to, to do all those things that you want to do like on steroids, like really like high speed. And um, yeah, that I really look forward to, to that moment. And we know that there will be on the road to that, will be paved with some some problems that we need to solve. We just have to be ready for it. So for you, do you think and, pallets I, I are think just the beginning? That, that's something I really learned in the army. Like it can always get worse. And as the Navy SEAL said, the only easy day was yesterday. And <laughs> if you have this mentality, you think like, yeah. oh yeah, and yeah. And I've been through the terrible things and I was still walking and I'm still okay. And when I thought I was finished, three days later, I'm still walking with like 40 kilos of, of, of weight and stuff. And think like, oh, and that's why I, I wish that everybody <laughs> had experience like this. And of course, in my time, we had to join the army. It was mandatory. And, uh, and I'm very grateful for that because I had no clue what to do when I was there in 1920. Yeah. I didn't discover my talent like you had, like as DJing, you know, I just... Uh, and so, so far past now <laughs> my yeah. life is so far <laughs> but, distant know, memories now is your path and uh, yeah. so make the best of True. it yeah don't complain just go well my path is made better a lot by chatting with people such as yourself it's always uh, the greatest pleasure of my day to be reminded that there are other people out there who have their hearts and minds in the right place and who are working hard to solve some of the problems that are facing us all so uh, you have my deep admiration and respect and i'm very happy that you were able to turn your own life into a force for good we need more people who are entrepreneurial who are trying to solve the problems in the way that you have so that sounds fantastic a force for good yes <laughs> that's right put that on your next t-shirt <laughs> you can do no, it but uh, see what you what you do is like giving a platform to ideas and about stories and about experience and also asking why uh, I think that's very what a lot of people need just like a push like oh yeah, yeah maybe I should maybe not do it myself but maybe find a purpose that's worth my time and so you join a course because uh, everybody can be uh, part of this let's say revolution for, for the good yeah. and your talent everybody has talents develop it and put it there where it's needed most and only some of them will be successful entrepreneurs. Let's say like 95% of the, the startups fail. Uh, so that's why it's also when you're in a startup, like bootcamp stuff, you always have to look around, okay, 95% will fail. Who are the people I like to hire when they fail? Ah. Who are the, the, the people? But also think like, hey, there if my company fails, where would I put my talents? Where would I like to work? So this is a different way of looking at things when you're in, in such an incubator or something like that, um, uh, which, which makes you very much alert, like, uh, and only just absorbing what the coaches tell you. And you especially have to disagree with coaches. Uh, 
because they haven't been where you've been they're not doing what you do they have their own experience so don't listen too much to people who give advice about things they have no clue about yeah that's right and my coach tells me every day that i'm ugly so uh I'm just kidding. I'm just circling that. I'm just joking. I, I it's not going to work. Yeah, I love you too. Exactly, right? To the haters on Facebook and on, on YouTube, I love you too. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're at the end of our hour here. Um, I want to let you direct people where you like, so promote anything. Where can people find you, support you to close us out here? Well, if you just Google Coco Pellet, then you find us. And yeah, it's fairly okay. easy. And uh, we're not on social media that much, like a LinkedIn maybe. Okay. But, uh, Sustainable and, uh, palettes. You'll show up. Let's hope. Yeah. You just have to see, like, what's the, when do we find these guys? But, you know, there's only one, com the name is, it tells what we do. Coco Palette. And Blast uh, it on the this, screen. this is where you find us. And Cool. Well, and we're again, based in Amsterdam. We're opening shop in the Philippines uh, the coming year, and uh, and then we'll be all over where the coconuts are. Sounds good. I look forward to following your progress. Thanks again. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over, Mikhail. <laughs>